Hello, my name is Claire and you are listening to the Hypno Birthing Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast. I hope everyone is doing well. Today's episode is actually going to be a listener Q&A. So I asked in my last episode for any questions that you might have that you want answering and I also asked on my social media pages as well. So I've had um, a fair few questions from people or just not maybe specific questions, but just kind of topics that people would like me to just briefly cover. Just to kind of caveat the start of this episode, obviously, as you know, I'm not medically qualified. So some of the questions are a little bit more specific. So about specific conditions, in which case I'm going to talk briefly about them but what I will probably do for most of them is uh, point you to some research and um, probably advise you to speak to your caregiver but I will put research um, links and things like that in the info box so that you have easy access to all of those things it's sort of one of those difficult things for a hypnobirthing teacher we we can't really give specific advice to people because we don't know people when we don't know their specific notes and their situation so obviously every case is completely different every person's completely different so um, I can't give any specific advice but I can definitely point you in the direction of where you can find out more information and then it's kind of up to you to make that choice yourself based off of your specific set of uh, risks so that's kind of just my little caveat just to say that before um, before I start as well. Okay, so let's get into the questions. Okay, so one of the things that a few people actually asked me about was things that you can do to help prepare for your labour. So things like, these old wives tales that we hear about how you can kind of get labour started. So as we know, you can't actually naturally induce something. Those two words don't work together. It's an oxymoron, you can't naturally induce things but there are you know there's a few fun things you can try a few old wives tales as I said that you can try during those last couple of weeks of your pregnancy that you might get some success from basically but the main thing to remember about going into labour is that not a lot's going to work unless you're ready to go into labour apart from a full-blown medical induction of course so all of these things you know, they're, they're worth a go if, if you fancy doing some of them. So this is just a, a few brief things that um, I'm going to mention and that I talk about on my course as well. The first one is to have sex. So this actually is talked about a lot. And if you watch any kind of uh, sitcoms or anything like that on um, pregnancy and people who are pregnant, they always say that they need to have sex towards the end of their pregnancy. So the reason really why this one is thought to work is because you release oxytocin when you have sex. And your labour is not going to start unless you are experiencing high levels of oxytocin. So basically, anything you can do towards the end of your pregnancy to increase your levels of oxytocin, that is going to help you to go into labour. If your body is kind of gearing up for labour to start, then high levels of oxytocin is going to help that. So having sex releases oxytocin. So that is the reason why that is often recommended. I would say it's up to you. Like, I get it. Not everybody's going to fancy it when they're 38, 39, 40 weeks pregnant. Um, So if it's something that you fancy doing, then go for it. If not, there are other things you can do to release oxytocin. Um, So some of the other things you can do are, you know, having a nice bubble bath, having a really nice relaxing bubble bath, perhaps with lavender, with some twinkly lights around your bath or some battery operated candles, with some nice music, Things that are going to relax you, make you happy, make you comfortable, because that's when you're going to release your oxytocin. So anything like that, even just, you know, chilling out in the evening, watching something really funny, something that makes you laugh, because when you laugh, you release oxytocin. Laying in bed, you know, meditating, doing your um, relaxations, your breathing, anything that makes you relaxed and comfortable and feel safe and happy because your body is not going to go into labor if you are feeling tense and scared and stressed so the best thing you can do for yourself around those last weeks is to try to stay as relaxed as possible um, and as calm as possible and really try to kind of block out any negativity that comes your way during those last couple of weeks because that's just going to really help your oxytocin stay at a really good level. 
another old wives tale that we hear about a lot is to eat spicy food so um the reason that spicy food is thought to work is because when we eat something that is really spicy for us it irritates our digestive tract and that then can stimulate the uterus to start contracting and so just kind of a couple of words on spicy food it needs to be something that is really spicy for you so if you already like spicy food so me personally I love spicy food. I will always order a vindaloo. I love the spice. The spicier, the better. So for me, I would have to order something really, really spicy that's, yeah, in in order for it to actually have an effect because a vindaloo doesn't irritate me because I'm used to eating it and I like that level of spice. It would need to be something really spicy. If you are pretty tame on the spice already, then you probably wouldn't need to do too much more to make it spicy. But the other thing to consider if you are irritating your digestive tract is that obviously that can have an adverse effect on what's happening and you don't want to be unwell or have a poorly stomach during your labour as well. Pineapple is another thing that people recommend towards the end of your pregnancy. Uh, So pineapple contains an enzyme called bromelain, which is thought to kind of trigger your contractions and get your labour going. But the fact is you would have to eat eight to ten whole pineapples, including the core, for it to really have any effect on your labour. So eat pineapple, definitely. But I can't imagine many people would eat that many pineapples and that would also probably make you feel really unwell. Um, So eat pineapple if you like it, because if you like it, it's going to make you happy and that's going to release oxytocin as well. Raspberry leaf tea, that gets talked about a lot. So raspberry leaf tea isn't actually thought to bring on labour. What it does is it's a muscle toner. So if you drink raspberry leaf tea kind of throughout your last sort of five four or five weeks of your pregnancy or you can take the tablets you can take it in tablet form it's thought to tone your uterus muscles so that your labor becomes not so long so your uterus basically um, will work more effectively because the muscles will be more toned Um, so that's how raspberry leaf tea works some people actually drink it the whole way through their pregnancy i know that if you went online and you googled raspberry leaf tea you would find quite a few people saying they sent them into labour and not to drink it too early because their friend of a friend went into labour the next day after drinking a cup. You know, I obviously not medically qualified, but I can probably pretty safely say that that probably wouldn't happen. And if that person, you know, if someone does go into labour after drinking a cup of raspberry leaf tea, I doubt it's the raspberry leaf tea. If only we had a method that sent us into labour so quickly, like we wouldn't need these medical inductions. We could just give everybody a cup of raspberry leaf tea. So don't worry too much about it. It's not the intention of it anyway to send you into labour. Um, the intention is to tone your muscles. So I would leave it until probably, yeah, the last month of your pregnancy and start drinking it. And you would you need to kind of slowly build it up. So for one week, drink like one cup a day. The next week, two cups a day. Um, you know, three cups a day, four cups a day, uh, which is quite a lot to be fair. But you need to kind of build the amount up. Lastly, I'm just going to talk to you about dates. So dates, if you eat six dates a day, it's thought to increase your chances of going into spontaneous labour. So meaning you're less likely to need an induction. There's actually quite a few studies done into dates and the evidence is actually really good. So from the control group um, in one of the studies, you know, it was a much higher percentage of people that went into labour after eating six dates a day, naturally, basically on their own. So I would say if you don't mind dates, Again, it's something for the last kind of four or five weeks of your pregnancy. Eat six dates a day can really help that. And the other thing I would say about dates and the reason that it's thought to work is because just before your baby is born naturally, your baby releases a protein into the body to tell your body basically that it's time to be born. And dates are thought to release the same protein. So if you start eating them, as I said, in the kind of last month of your pregnancy, by the time you get to kind of 40 weeks or you know whatever time the kind of idea the theory is is that you would have built up enough of this protein that it would be enough to trigger your labor to start so i will actually leave a study below on dates so you can have a little look at it um, and see what you think the last thing i'm going to say about inducing labor naturally is that it's really important to remember that your baby will come when it's ready and actually the last part of your baby to develop is its lungs um, and it's once the lungs are developed that your bo- that your baby releases this protein so don't 
worry too much about trying to bring your labor on because if one of these things miraculously does work you never know like maybe your baby isn't completely ready to be born yet and considering their last part to develop is their lungs it's really important for them to be ready to be born because then they are fully prepared for the outside world Okay, so the second question I had, and I had a few of these as well, was asking me about free birth. So for those that don't know, a free birth is when somebody chooses to birth without any medical professional there. So for us in the UK, it's completely legal to have a free birth. Again, I'm going to leave some um, some resources below for people to check out, kind of research into it and more information about free birth. In my capacity as a hypnobirthing teacher... I wouldn't recommend a free birth. This is just in my capacity as a hypnobirthing teacher. I personally, to clients, wouldn't. And that is because, again, I'm not a medical professional. I don't know people's history. I don't know people's notes. So I personally wouldn't. I don't also have any experience of free birth. I've never had a free birth. I've never witnessed a free birth. I don't know that much about free birth to be able to recommend it to people. I'd love to kind of witness one or to have had one but I haven't so I'm in a kind of tricky situation where I wouldn't kind of recommend one but I can see why people opt for them and particularly in the last kind of 18 months because of covid many people have been opting for free births because if their options get taken away if their you know home birth uh, service gets suspended if the midwife led unit gets closed and their only option is to birth in the labor ward a lot of people don't want to do that so they a lot of people have been left without an option, basically. Um, so their options are to give birth in a very medical, hospital-based setting or to give birth at home, trust your body and just trust that everything will be okay. I get why people do it, totally. So I'll leave some resources below so you can have a look yourself. It's a difficult thing for me to comment on, really, because I have so many people listen and everyone's in a different situation. So for f- some of you, free birth might absolutely be like amazing, the best thing. But for others, it just really might not be the best thing. So... I I can't comment on it totally, but I will definitely leave some resources so that you can do your own research into it. Okay, another question was about planning a home birth, basically what you need to do to plan for a home birth. So it depends where you are in the world, obviously. Uh, For us, again, in the UK, home birth is free on the NHS. It's amazing that we have that option. Just for the sake of this, me answering this question, let's just pretend that COVID isn't happening and that some people haven't had their home birth service suspended because that has happened and that's still happening around the UK as well so let's just pretend that everything's hunky-dory and that home births are still working all over the country basically the main things that you can do for home birth is to just make sure that you have all the tools to create a really nice calm environment so things like dimmable lights or you know twinkly lights that you can plug in and that you can put around your room battery operated candles or real candles if you're in your own home you can have real candles make sure that you have um, you know your smell available so if you've been practicing using lavender oil you know perhaps have a diffuser where you can put the lavender oil in or you could have a lavender candle lavender room spray make sure that the smell is around your environment because that's a really big relaxation trigger snacks so important to have snacks biscuits teas not necessarily just for the person giving birth although it is important to stay hydrated and to eat throughout your labor but for also the midwives that come out to you they may be there for a while so make sure you have snacks on hand for them tea they will really appreciate it I'm sure many of them bring their own things but just to have some biscuits or some you know some tea around some fruit that will really help them as well puppy pads so you know the pads that you get like puppy training pads they can be really useful for home birth so I actually advise a lot of people most people really to buy some before their labor because they're good to sleep on during those last kind of couple of weeks just in case your waters go just protects your bed they're good to put down next to the side of your bed so that if you stand up in the morning and your waters go they're there to protect the carpet or the floor they're also just really absorbent so I mean personally speaking for me my waters went I was at home we had some puppy pads and um, I kind of just like wrapped them around myself a bit like a towel because they when your waters go it's not always this big gush like we see on tv it's sometimes just a really slow constant trickle of water that can go on for hours so it's kind of inconvenient so actually wrapping these around me it meant that it was being absorbed 
also they can then be good for when the baby comes so when you're having the baby at home they can be good to put under you to put the baby on I mean midwives do carry things like this as well but just to have your own is quite helpful and also when the baby's born changing your baby on a uh, on a puppy pad or something like that can be really good because it's absorbent and sometimes babies wee when you're changing them so that would kind of be my um, tip on puppy pads they're not environmentally friendly I completely appreciate but if you just buy a pack just in case you need them and then you know you can use them if you don't need them for your labor you can use them for the baby afterwards towels so make sure that you have some old towels I mean they don't even really need to be old but maybe don't use your best brand new white towels Uh, maybe just some older towels that you can find make sure they're washed they're clean because you know baby will need to be um kind of wrapped up at some point and they're just good to lay on things if you're going to be kind of on the sofa or you know on a chair on the floor wherever they're kind of good to have around just in case you need them waterproof sheets so if you are having a birth pool at home buy some shower curtains you know just like a big clear like shower curtain or even like tarpauling I mean the only thing about tarpauling is it just kind of makes you feel like you're some sort of like animal that has um tarpauling under them but the reason that she you know waterproof sheets good like shower curtains and things like that is because you can put them under the birth pool and they will protect your floor so whether you've got floor like proper hard floor or you've got carpet you probably don't want to be putting a birth pool straight on top of it so having sheets underneath it like that that are waterproof are really helpful the only thing i would say is just be careful because they could be slippery so if you are getting in and out of the birth pool um, then they can get a bit slippery so just be really careful if you are doing that we don't want anyone to slip over while they're in labor the last thing that i would say for home birth is a birth pool if you are wanting to give birth in water i mean if you're at home the majority of people i think like to have a birth pool you can hire them you can buy them Um, and the great thing about them is that you know you're going to have access to it because it's yours it's at home you have it there already so birth pool is great do a practice run with it so set it up before find out how long it takes to pump it up it can be quite quick depending on the pump you have but you also want to practice filling it to see how long it takes to fill it now birth pools come with liners so what i would say is don't use the liner on the practice run because you're going to want the liner for your labor because the liner is you know sanitized and clean so you don't want to be using it beforehand just fill the pool up kind of on its own before check how long it takes to fill it up Um, and then when it comes to your actual labor you can use it with the liner Um, but it just gives you an idea of obviously how long it's going to take so that your partner you know your birth partner whoever is there with you whoever is in control of the pool they will um, know how long they have and how long it takes the other thing to get is a thermometer for the pool so um, you know just any kind of waterproof thermometer because the temperature of the water needs to be about 37 degrees it needs to be about body temperature and it needs to be maintained at that temperature as well so for a birth partner kind of one of their roles is really to try and keep that water the same um, temperature so you can do that by boiling kettles boiling pans of water and just topping it up every now and again as well Now, for anybody who uh, wants a birth pool, wants to buy one, wants to hire one, I actually have a 10% off code. So I'm going to plug that right here um, because you can get 10% off. um, It's birth pool in a box. um, And I'll leave that code in the description below. And I'm not sure if it's open everywhere in the world. Check it out. It's definitely UK. But have a little look because it may well be. Okay, next question was asking about what people can do if they feel like a failure after birth. The first thing I would say is try to understand what's happened throughout your birth. So one of the main reasons really why somebody may feel like they failed at birth, which is obviously such a shame and I hate the thought that anybody feels like that. But one of the real reasons why people may feel like that is if their birth didn't kind of go how they wanted, if they feel like they had no options, they had no choices, then I can understand why somebody may feel really disappointed in their birth. So the the main thing you can do really for yourself at first is to find out what actually happened throughout your labour because often we don't really know. If it's kind of a long labour, you don't always necessarily know everything that happened. And what I mean by that is you might not necessarily know why every single decision has been made. If you do hypnobirthing and you really learn your rights, one of the reasons for doing that is so that you can ask questions about every situation so that you do know. But if you don't, if you don't ask questions or if this has happened before you've known about hypnobirthing or something like that where you've really felt like you didn't realise you could ask questions, 
then sometimes it can feel like all these things are happening and you don't know why so a debrief is really important most hospitals will offer you a debrief i mean they they should do it's um you know it's completely uh, within your right to go and have a debrief where you would meet with your midwife or um another caregiver um you know a consultant maybe and talk through your entire birth what happened why these decisions were made so that you can understand what's happened why they were made perhaps where questions could have been asked um, but it really gives you a sense of understanding um which can help as well other things there are programs specifically if you're feeling birth trauma so if you're feeling like you are experiencing trauma from your birth experience then there are different programs that you can do to try to help that so there are some um, three-step rewind programs and again I will leave you a link in the description as to kind of where you can find programs like that but they basically work on that trauma and help you to understand it and help you to release it as well so there are some things that you can do to try to combat it talk about it I know that sometimes we don't like to we don't feel like it helps but actually talking through situations does help as well so I will leave some links below that will be helpful for anyone that is experiencing that or is worried about that okay how to stay calm if you need to transfer to hospital so basically if you unless you are having a home birth everybody always has to transfer to hospital so at some point in your labor if you are planning on going into the hospital or a midwife-led unit, you will have to transfer in. And this is something actually that comes up a lot when we talk about home birth, is people say, well, what happens if you have to transfer in? But everybody has to transfer into hospital at some point, unless you are staying at home. So it's always something that you have to do. Um, so if you are somebody who is planning a hospital or midwife-led unit birth, try and stay at home for as long as you can, for as long as you feel comfortable Typically, people that do hypnobirthing, they don't go into hospital too soon because they're very in tune with their body. They're very aware of what's happening. Um, so many people that do hypnobirthing actually stay at home um, for you know a good amount of time. When you do transfer in, my advice would be to take a little safe space with you. So if you're transferring in by car then if you can sit in the back take your pillow with you take headphones so you can listen to relaxations and block any noise out take maybe your smell with you so if you've got lavender oil you could just take the little bottle of lavender oil do your breathing as you're in the car and um, the other thing that can be really useful is a tens machine um, so tens machines you stick them to the bottom of your back they've got these little pads on them and they can interrupt the pain signals that get sent so they can be really helpful for transferring. So if you're interested in a TENS machine, you know, again, you can hire them or you can buy them. And again, I also have 10% off discount for a TENS machine. I'll leave it below. Um, but they can be really useful in the car as well, just to kind of take the edge off. But the main thing you can do really is take your little safe space. So make sure you have headphones because that will block out kind of anything going on. For those driving, just take it slow. Um, you know, just take it slow. Be mindful that, she might be a little bit uncomfortable in the back um, you know if there's bumps things like that just take it as slow as you can when you leave the hospital or when you drive anywhere with your baby for the first time you literally drive so slow so um, it's one of those things that is good to practice uh, just before if you are somebody who's having a home birth and you need to transfer into hospital for any reason typically you will go by ambulance um, and the reason for that is because the majority of midwives just aren't insured to carry you in their car so that's the reason that you'll go by ambulance and I know that ambulances sound really scary and it sounds like an emergency but typically the main reasons why people transfer from home aren't emergencies anyway they're things like because they want extra pain relief or because they need a little bit of assistance with something you know forceps something like that they're not usually kind of emergencies but the use of an ambulance makes it feel like it is a bit so if you have to go by ambulance, I get it, it kind of feels a bit overwhelming, but it's only because you can't go in the, in the midwife's car and I doubt um, your birth partner, I mean, you could go with your birth partner, but if you're kind of quite far on in your labour, you might not want to do that in case you give birth. So being in an ambulance actually is probably the safest place for you, just in case you do give birth at some point. Personally, I went in by ambulance with my first labour because we just needed a bit of help. Again, forceps, as I said, it actually wasn't I didn't find it scary I knew the ambulance was coming 
I found it fine. In fact, the way I tell it is that it what we weren't blue lighted. I don't actually remember blue lights, but my husband assures me there were blue lights. It wasn't an emergency. It's obviously just to get you there as quickly as possible. It was also really icy and um, cold when I went in. So they were driving pretty slow, I think. But the things you can do, obviously, if you're feeling a bit uh, anxious about that, Um, about an ambulance just breathe remember to breathe listen to your relaxations basically the same kind of advice I just gave for transferring just breathe do your relaxations take a little safe space with you in the ambulance if you can but yeah I kind of I get it with ambulances it sounds scary the majority of the time it isn't for an emergency reason it's just because that's the safest way to get you to hospital Okay, top tips for first-time mums or first-time parents in general. Okay, so I have a few. I have three, actually. My first one is take it slow. So often, and I'm guilty of this as well, so often when we first have a baby, you know, we've been through this really intense experience. No matter how your birth goes, it's always intense. It's powerful. It changes you. And, you know, you have tons of hormones running around your body. And after you give birth, they're all trying to get back to normal. So it's a very kind of emotional time anyway. So many of us, we have our baby and then we instantly have loads of guests come around to visit the baby, which I get like it's nice to have people, you know, we all want people to meet our baby. But then we find ourselves kind of making sure we've got makeup on, making sure we look all right, making sure the house is tidy. I mean, this is just personally me. This is what I'm like. Do I look okay? Like, is the house tidy for people to come around? I've just given birth to a baby. Like, who cares what anything looks like? I should be laying in bed. So just take it slow. People will get a chance to meet your baby at some point. You really just need to look after yourself. In fact, like many, many years ago, when people used to have babies, the person that had the baby was treated like an absolute goddess, like laid in bed, didn't do anything for, you know, days, weeks, just treated like a total goddess. Something's changed and now we feel this kind of pressure to act like we have it all together straight away as soon as the baby's born. It's actually okay to just lay in bed with your baby and take that time for you. It's actually really important because you're recovering. And again, as I said, it doesn't matter how your labour went. You're still always going to be recovering from however your labour went. Um, And you have so many emotions going around. It's a real um, special time, those first few weeks after the baby's born. So take it slow. If you're not ready for visitors, don't have visitors. It's up to you. It's your baby, your life. Just do what feels comfortable for you, basically. The other top tip that I would give is to think about food. (laughs) So whether you have people around you that are able to make you food and drop it off for you after you've had your baby, brilliant. If not, batch cook, um, you know, buy some food that is easy to prepare because when you've had your baby, you really, no one's going to want to cook. You're not going to want to order takeaway all the time. So actually having meals that you've prepared already that are in the freezer or having somebody drop food off on your doorstep that is nutritious, there's vegetables, you know, there's all the things you need to, that is really helpful and a godsend and it's actually something that I never even thought that I would need but with my first baby didn't even prepare anything like hadn't thought about food and my mother-in-law was dropping off meals on the doorstep um, that we just needed to put in the microwave you know they had vegetables they were balanced they were good and it was it was a lifesaver it really was because it took the pressure of having to think about food and then also having to cook it so I would also recommend having a think about that as well My last tip for first-time parents is just trust your instinct. Instinct is everything. You know, nine times out of 10, your instinct will guide you. It will be correct. So trust your gut. If something doesn't feel right, then listen to that. And also, if all you want to do is lay in bed with your baby, do that. Like, trust what feels right for you because your instinct will guide you to what feels right for you. Okay, I've had a question about how to get the baby engaged. Um, So basically what that means is when the baby is engaged, it means the head is kind of engaged in your pelvis. So for first time mums, when a baby becomes engaged, typically they stay engaged. So their head kind of goes down, it gets engaged in the pelvis and it sort of stays there. For second, third time mums, often babies can engage and then they can come out again. And that is just what can happen so um, what I would say about trying to get your baby's head engaged is sitting on a birthing ball can be really good just for posture walking around staying active Uh, but the main thing is don't worry about it too much particularly second third you know subsequent times a lot of babies don't actually engage until they are in labor and also as we know just because a baby's head isn't engaged it doesn't mean that your labor is not going to start so 
just stay active be mindful of your posture sit on a birthing ball those things can be really helpful for helping the baby engage okay mentally preparing for induction so if you know that you have an induction coming up for whatever reason that is whether it is medical or whether it's because you've gone overdue and you feel like that's the right thing for you to do obviously you know it will take some mental preparation as well so the things that you can do to mentally prepare for an induction is firstly keep practicing your hypnobirthing keep practicing your breathing keep practicing your relaxations because they are going to really help other things you can do is visualize your birth so visualize how you want your induction to go keep visualizing it visualize it every day what we put out there often happens so if you can visualize exactly how your birth goes kind of like manifest it that can really help also know all of your rights around induction so again i'm going to link a couple of books below on induction um, i really recommend everybody reads about induction and gets clued up so they know you know know your rights around it know you know what you are able to say yes to what you are able to decline which by the way is everything and know what you're happy doing that can really make you feel in control also seek out positive induction stories so you know if you google positive induction birth stories you'll find lots i have one on the podcast hopefully i can get some more if anybody out there has got a positive induction story and wants to share it on the podcast i'd love it because they're really helpful because a lot of people find themselves in the position of having an induction so you know seek out positive induction birth stories read them listen to them surround yourself with them don't allow yourself to think anything negative about it i know so many people talk negatively about induction and friends and family might say oh induction try to just block out anything negative don't allow it into your space just keep thinking positive about it okay somebody asked what happens after birth so in terms of the placenta cutting the cord so typically when the baby's first born unless there are any kind of medical reasons why baby needs to be taken away or you know the cord needs to be cut immediately baby really should just immediately go to you like um, skin to skin is so important so baby usually gets put on your chest your chest doing skin to skin it regulates the baby's heartbeat and the the baby's blood pressure it regulates their temperature it helps establish breastfeeding if you want to breast or chest feed it's really important skin to skin so unless there is a medical reason why it can't be done that's kind of the first thing that should happen the second thing that happens is your cord being kind of clamped and and cut now many of you probably already know and are probably clued up on it anyway but nowadays it's pretty standard to do optimal cord clamping and that is basically when they wait for the cord to stop pulsating and turn white before um, it is clamped and cut and that is because when your baby's born a third of their blood is still left in the placenta so in order for your baby to get all of their blood back they need to wait for the cord to kind of turn white once it's turned white and it doesn't pulsate anymore that's a sign that all of the blood is back a third of a baby's blood is a lot if you think about us as adults if we lost a third of our blood we would feel really unwell for anybody who's ever given blood they offer you you know a biscuit afterwards because you can feel lightheaded that's not a third of your blood that you're giving so if you imagine not having a third of it it's not good so the benefits of optimal core clamping are very well evidenced so it should be pretty standard as i said unless there's medical reasons why it cannot happen and it can take a varying amount of time up to half an hour maybe for it to happen but there's really no reason why it needs to be clamped and cut immediately the placenta is also born um, straight after so you typically have two different options for birthing your placenta you can either have a medical management of it or you can have a natural management medical is when you have an injection it's like a synthetic oxytocin that they inject and that encourages your placenta to come away and then typically kind of is comes out within sort of like 10 minutes really your midwife or caregiver will do the work they will help to get the placenta out if you have a natural management of that stage of your labor then you need to just basically birth your placenta Uh, so environment needs to stay the same you need oxytocin you may need to move around a bit um, and it can take varying amounts of time so again it can take up to about an hour for the placenta to be born naturally Um, again that kind of thing's personal preference so 
it's up to you I would look into it I think the majority of people are advised to have a medical management of their placenta but you can absolutely have uh, natural management if that's what you would rather in some countries I know as well it's not possible to do it naturally or it's not done that often and so I would have a look into that speak to your caregiver about it if you wanted to do it more naturally the other thing to consider during that uh, kind of first time after the baby's born is whether or not you want your baby to have the vitamin k injection vitamin k is one of the main clotting factors in our blood and babies are born with lower levels of it than adults so they get offered basically an injection to up their levels to adult level basically it's up to you personal preference again you do not have to have it you can have it if you want again research into it there's a really great book on vitamin k so again i'll leave a link to that below but the best thing you can do for yourself is just educate yourself on on it on the pros on the cons and work out what it is you want to do somebody's asked how do i know when i'm in labor so this will look different for everybody everybody's kind of labor is going to start differently but there are three things you can look out for that can be signs that your labor is about to start the first one is your mucus plug or um, it's also called a bloody show (laughs) horrible words um basically it's a mucusy substance i've probably talked about this in some of my other um podcast episodes it's a mucusy substance it looks a bit mucusy bloody you know snotty kind of substance that sits on your cervix um, and sometimes it comes away and it can be a sign that your labor is going to start it also might not be it can apparently regenerate itself um, so if you lose it you know at 37 weeks it might be a sign but it also might not be if you lose it at 40 weeks then it could be a good sign that it's about to start but also some people never notice it I never noticed either of mine never saw it so some people don't notice it some people do it can be a sign that labor is going to start The second sign is if your waters go. So if your waters break, then that's a pretty good sign that your labor's on its way. Only 10% of waters go before labor. So actually, contrary to what is shown on TV, where everybody's water breaks, it doesn't necessarily always happen. And as I said, it's only 10% chance of it happening. So the likelihood is, is that your waters will go during your labor at some point. But if they do go, then again, can be a good sign contractions usually start straight away or within a matter of um, an hour or so if they don't then often you are encouraged to book him for an induction you know within the next kind of 24 36 hours because once your waters go there is a slight increase in the risk of infection to the baby because there's no waters there anymore now this is again personal preference you don't have to do it look into the numbers look into the stats and the actual increase in that risk and determine whether that's something that you want to do the kind of the thought of a an induction impending induction hanging over your head while you're trying to get your labor to start can actually derate all your labor it's not going to help it start so if you know that in your 12 hours i'm going to be induced it can be quite stressful so just remain calm try to relax again the best thing you can do to get those contractions started is just to maintain high levels of oxytocin so just try and do whatever you can to relax sleep lay in bed they kind of tend to advise not having a bath if your waters have gone just because of that risk of infection but there are other things you can do to relax as well the third sign is some surges so just some light inconsistent surges can be a good sign that your labor's on its way and again the best thing you can do for yourself if you are experiencing that is to rest Uh, you don't need to chase your labor so you don't need to go on a mammoth walk you don't need to bounce frantically up and down on your ball if your labor is going to start it's going to start so the best thing you can do if you're experiencing those light inconsistent surges is to maybe just go back to bed if you can go back to bed watch something do your relaxations meditate go to sleep whatever it is that is going to relax you and release oxytocin is going to help okay somebody's asked me about gestational diabetes within pregnancy and again what i'm going to say about gestational diabetes is it's going to be a different situation for everybody as far as i know the kind of main concerns that come from gestational diabetes is the size of the baby because although our body will grow a baby the right size if you have certain conditions such as diabetes or gestational diabetes 
sometimes babies can be a little bit larger based on the fact that you are having extra insulin and stuff like that so that can be one of the concerns what I would say about gestational diabetes and again I'm going to link some papers and some research for you below so that you can read about it but talk to your healthcare provider ask them what this means for you whether it's able to be managed through diet because a lot of the time it is so basically my kind of advice on that is to because it's going to be different for everybody I can't say like a specific do this it means this there's so many of you guys that listen so speak to your healthcare provider and do your research is the best thing you can do about gestational diabetes so that you understand how you can manage it through diet what the risks actually are so if you're being told you can't have a home birth you can't you know go any further in your pregnancy you need to be induced really try to understand what the risks are remember that induction comes with its own set of risks so assess everything and then decide what risk it is you're happy to accept someone's asked for an explanation of breathing the baby out and so we talk about this a lot in hypnobirthing that actually you just need to breathe your baby out and the reason for that is because actually your body will eject your baby on its own quite naturally there's evidence of women who have been in comas who have given birth vaginally they've not done anything their body has done it on its own so if you think about any other kind of ejection reflex that our body has so for example when we when we poo when we wee uh, when we vomit when we sneeze these are all ejection reflexes they are our body getting rid of something that it doesn't need in the body anymore so if you think about if you really need to vomit you can't stop it you know it's happening your body does it right you can't you can't physically stop it um it's an ejection reflex and our body has a fetal ejection reflex so no matter what you do your body's going to eject your baby at some point when it is no longer needed and your body will do it on its own your body pushes on its own i have experienced it i know it happens it's crazy sensation um, and it's amazing as well at the same time that your body does that so actually you don't necessarily need to push like chin on chest pushing like you see on tv you just need to breathe breathe through those urges and i'm going to link a video on how to do that breathing below because it's impossible for me to show you whilst talking on a podcast um because you can't see me so i'll link a video on how to do that breathing um, and how to encourage kind of the baby out but basically it's just the aim of it is to take it slow uh, to be focused to focus on moving your baby downwards with your breath and um, but the video that i will link will show you how to do that somebody's asked how does hypnobirthing encourage a shorter labor so many reasons i mean hypnobirthing firstly it relaxes you when you're relaxed your body works much better so if you think about trying to run somewhere being tense like if you were tense running it would be really difficult it's the same with labor and when we are scared when we feel stressed when we feel unsure of something we naturally tense up even if we're not aware we're doing it we naturally tense and so it makes it a lot harder for our body to do what it needs to do when we're relaxed it enables your body to work much more efficiently the other thing it does is it helps to release that fear so obviously we do a lot of fear release we talk about what actually happens in labor um, you know what your body's doing what the muscles are doing what the hormones are doing how we have been giving birth for many years how our body is so perfectly designed to give birth like every other mammal it releases some of the fear so if you don't have the fear anymore you are naturally more relaxed also it teaches you the kind of self-relaxation so the reason we give you the relaxation tracks the mp3s is to help you kind of it's almost like a self-hypnosis and I'm wary of using the word hypnosis because I know the negative effect or the negative connotations hypnosis hypno has unfortunately um, it's called hypnobirthing but self-hypnosis is basically just being deeply relaxed allowing yourself to deeply relax and the reason that we do that is so that your your mind the kind of thinking conscious part of your brain basically gets put out of the way like it gets put to sleep basically so that your body's able to do what it needs to do if you think about other mammals they don't have these issues that we have they don't overcomplicate their labors they don't worry about whether they're going to be able to give birth they just give birth because it's instinct it's normal instinct and 
they don't do that because they don't they're not as evolved as us they don't have this part of their brain which overthinks everything it's called the neocortex and we have it and that's one of the reasons we're so evolved which is great but it means it gets in the way so the relaxations that you learn the breath work that you learn during hypnobirthing helps to keep that neocortex still during your labor so that you are able to kind of get out of the way stop feeling scared and your body is able to do what it needs to do another reason i guess that hypnobirthing helps is that typically you're kind of going to be much more active in your labor um you know if you are laying on your back on a bed it's not the optimal position to give birth in so labor can take longer so being active being upright can help for your labor to work better because it's gravity if we were going to do a poo we wouldn't lay on our back and do it that would not help we need to be upright and you know it's the same area it's the same thing happening basically as as defecating we need to be upright we need to assist gravity somebody actually a few people asked this as well how sore are contractions what do contractions feel like this is really difficult to answer because it's going to be different for everybody in fact it is it's different i know it's different for everybody people feel contractions all over some people feel them just in their bump some people feel them just in their back some people feel them all the way round. i only experience them in my back not in the front at all and actually when contractions are happening they actually happen at the top of your bump so the muscles that are contracting during your labor are at the top of your bump but that doesn't mean you necessarily feel it at the top of your bump you can feel it all over and a lot of that is to do with baby's position but also just how that discomfort gets distributed throughout your body i would say it's hard to answer to be honest because it's different for everybody everybody it's a perception as well. So everybody's perception of that sensation is going to be different. Yeah, you could find so many people that tell you they are the most painful thing in the world, like so painful, awful. But that's all to do with their perception of them. And a lot of that is to do with mindset. So many hypnobirthing people, people that have done hypnobirthing will tell you that, yeah, okay, they were uncomfortable. Maybe they were painful but I managed them. They were fine. I, you know, I got through them. They were fine. I used my breathing. I used my, um, you know, my positive mind techniques, my relaxations to, to help with them. And going back to the last question about being relaxed, that helps. So the more relaxed you are, the less painful something's going to be. Again, when we're tense, we feel pain more intensely. So the more relaxed you can be, the the better they will feel. The main thing to remember about contractions is that, and this is one of my favorite affirmations, which I say all the time, but they are your body, they're being created by your body. So it's a sensation that your own body is creating. Therefore, it cannot ever be too much for you to handle because your own body's doing it. It's not a feeling, a pain that's coming from outside. So yeah, if someone like stands on your foot or if you break your leg, that's really painful because that's a source that's coming from outside. This is something that your own body is creating. And the affirmation is my surges cannot be stronger than me because they are me. So they cannot be stronger than you as a person because they are you as a person. So I love that affirmation. I think it's amazing and very helpful. So they will never be too much because you they are you. They are you doing it. So therefore, you it's enough for you to handle. Somebody's asked, how do you use the toilet during labor how do you get to have toilet breaks can you have contractions sitting on the toilet yes 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 the toilet is actually a really good place for labor i actually posted about this on my instagram the other day it's actually a really good place for labor it can help with the surges and you can absolutely have toilet breaks during your labor you need to in fact you need to keep having toilet breaks because you don't want to get to a point where your bladder is really full so Obviously, we encourage hydration throughout the day, but it's really important to stay hydrated. Just if, if you were running a marathon, you would need to stay hydrated so your muscles worked well. Same during labour. But obviously, if you're drinking a lot, you need to also wee it out. And your midwife or your caregiver will probably encourage you to use the toilet throughout your labour. If you, if you don't, then obviously your bladder can become bigger and that can actually get in the way of the baby. So you want to keep weeing and releasing that as often as you can. And as I said, sitting on the toilet can have a really good effect on on the baby, on your labour. So I'll actually link my post below so you can have a look at it in more detail. Somebody's asked, how do I know when to go to hospital? You just kind of do. This is really difficult as well to explain, but 
it's instinct. And again, as I said before about instinct, nine times out of 10, it'll be right. Somebody giving birth usually knows kind of when it's time. And most hospitals uh, will give you some sort of guideline on when to go. So for example, when your contractions are every three to four minutes lasting a minute, that means you're in your established labor. So come in or, you know, call the midwife out. It's good to have a guide, obviously, but everybody's different. We're not robots. We don't all work in the same way. So of course, we're not all going to labor every three minutes lasting a minute. It's just not going to happen. The whole entire female population of the world is not going to work in that exact same way. So if that's not happening, and if perhaps your surges are still only every four minutes or every five minutes, but it feels much more intense, you know, you feel a step up in the intensity of your labor you feel like you really need to go somewhere else or you really need the midwife to come to you that's when you need to listen to your gut and your instinct and if it's telling you to go then it's probably correct Uh, so listen to that um, and if it feels like it's time then go okay i've only got a couple questions left someone's asked about the covid vaccine obviously this is very uh topical the kind of gen- general consensus and how to decide on whether to have the COVID vaccine or not during pregnancy. This one, oh, this is sticky. Like <laughs> I'm wary of um, giving kind of too much opinion on it. I actually, I'm, I mean, I'm not pregnant and not many people ask me actually for my opinion on this, but I would say the main thing really is to do your research. That's that's all you can do when it comes to it. It's difficult because it's difficult to find unbiased information, but I'm going to link an account for you in the description. Go and follow them. They've got a lot of different kind of Instagram lives and things like that on the COVID vaccine. And I would say just do your research on it and do what makes you feel comfortable. The actual the person that asked me about this said that their family and friends were actually pressuring them um, to have it, but they weren't sure. So again, goes back to instinct everything goes back to instinct it doesn't matter what anyone else is saying if other people are pressuring you it doesn't really matter it's your body your baby so you do what you feel comfortable with that's all you can do is trust your gut do your research so that you know the kind of options the facts the risks involved with doing it and with not doing it and then go with your gut and what you feel comfortable doing somebody's asked how might low blood pressure impact labor so First thing I would say about low blood pressure is to talk to your midwife or your care provider about what that means for you specifically. Obviously, it depends how low your blood pressure is, um, whether there's anything you can do to help it naturally, and also what it means for you within your own kind of maternity system that you're in. Sometimes low blood pressure can mean that a water birth isn't advised, for example, And the reason for that is because anything that's, if you're already got quite low blood pressure, anything that's kind of relaxing, that's going to relax you, can obviously lower your blood pressure further. So sometimes they're not advised. Again, it's one of those things where everyone's own risk is going to be very different. And so it's going to, those kind of parameters, those rules are going to apply differently to each person it depends how low your blood pressure is it depends on your history it depends on how you manage it how you can manage it so talk to your provider there also might be other alternatives so if it really is out of the of the question to have a water birth for example you could always use warm kind of compresses you could always use like flannels that are wet on your back or on your your bump to kind of give that same effect or a similar effect of being in water without actually being in water so ask do the research into it yourself um, and um, again I'll leave some links below on low blood pressure as well the final question actually I've put last because somebody has asked about courses so when to do a course what sort of course they should do so when should you do a course within your pregnancy so if you are kind of early in your pregnancy and you have time on your side then I always advise people around kind of 26 27 28 weeks is a really great time to start a course if if you can just because it means you have still quite a nice amount of time uh, afterwards to kind of practice what you've learned and but not so long that you get a bit maybe bored with it or complacent with it so around those times if you can is great if you are later on into your pregnancy and you haven't just you know maybe you didn't discover hypnobirthing until you were 35 36 weeks just do it do some form of hypnobirthing like 
the best thing you can do for you, it's never too late basically it's never too late to learn this information even if you are 37 weeks there are options you you know the best thing you can do is do it don't think oh, I'm too late there's no point there is always the point that is always going to benefit I taught someone recently that didn't start till she was 37 weeks and she had her baby the other day and had an amazing experience because she did it and she learned things that she would not have learned otherwise so it's never too late there are options so what I mean by options are there are live courses so I do live courses um which I do every month monthly live courses they are eight hours and they are kind of four weeks um, of teaching so if you have got time on your side then that kind of course is great you meet other people um it's really I love my group courses I love them the people I love seeing them chat I love we kind of do different sorts of tasks so I put people into little rooms together this is obviously virtual and they discuss things and then they come back and tell me and I, I just really love it and then um I usually I like to announce births on Instagram if people are happy for me to And I love seeing other members from that group course congratulating them. I just think it's really lovely. Um, And from the point of my, you know, my point of view, I I just really love it. So group courses are great. People ask questions that you may not have thought of, which is also just really helpful. So if time's on your side, group courses are fab. If I also do one-to-ones, so, but I do less of these. I only do one a month because just time-wise. So if you would rather have a... Uh, one-to-one course then those options are there as well and the benefit of that is that it can be more specific to you so if you have got something that you're particularly worried about or a specific condition that you're concerned about we can talk about it in a bit more detail that's often a bit harder with group courses but I'm always available on email and things like that to talk about it anyway and also for people who maybe are in a different time zone uh, and can't make the group courses so typically probably people who are like Australia, New Zealand way. I teach a lot of US people, Canadian, on my group courses because typically I alternate the times and days so most people can make them. But if you're New Zealand, Australia, it might be a little bit more difficult. So a, a one-to-one might be better for you um, in terms of how you know we can work out a time that suits you. The other option that I have for um, those of you who have less time, who are later in your pregnancy or those of you who have had a baby and done hypnobirthing before and just want a refresh, is I have an essentials course, which is pre-recorded. I know I talk about this every um, episode anyway. Um, It's pre-recorded, three hours, watch it in your own time, at your own pace, and it's the essentials of hypnobirthing. So no, it's not as detailed as the full eight-hour course, because it's three hours, but it is the essentials. Um, And so for people that are late, you know, if you don't discover hypnobirthing till 37, 38 weeks, and you cannot fit onto a group course in time then doing the essentials course like I cannot and it's not just me other people do similar courses as well so um, if you don't want to do it with me then that's fine but it do something because it's going to help you so much and you cannot underestimate the power of a positive birth experience it's so worth the investment it absolutely is I've seen it firsthand many many times with people I've taught just what a difference it makes so if you can, there are options there for you. Um, the other thing to say about courses is a lot of people say, do I even need to do a course? Should I just read a book? I mean, yes, you can read a book. Doing that is better than nothing. But a course gives you so much more than a book. So if you have the option to do some sort of course, then I would do that over just reading a book. If you really don't, then do something, read a book. But doing a course whether it is a full kind of eight hour course or whether it's a shorter condensed course is going to give you so much more than just reading a book and it also depends how you learn some people learn by reading and that's enough they can just read the words on the page and it take it all in some people need a bit more interaction than that and so it depends on you as an individual and then also just one last thing to say about courses is about whether it's a face-to-face or online one um again it's personal preference. Things have been much more online lately, obviously because of COVID, which I think actually has been a good thing uh, that courses are online because it means, I mean, I I mean, I can reach people all over the world, which is amazing, which wouldn't have happened before if I was just doing in-person courses. So for some of you guys who are in other countries who may not have had the option to do hypnobirthing, who may not be able to find a local teacher, it enables you to do it as well which is great so 
it's up to you personal preference again if you can find a teacher nearby that's face-to-face and that's doing face-to-face and you would rather do that do that um online we're obviously still face-to-face we're just kind of across a computer screen it works in the same way we do the same things it's the exact same content content so yeah again there's the options there i actually don't I'm not doing any kind of group face-to-face at the moment the only face-to-face that I do really is one-to-ones if you're local Um, I'd love to be able to travel to different countries to do one-to-ones how amazing would that be but unfortunately that can't happen so yeah so one-to-ones if you're kind of fairly local then we can do that and I do do that as well so those are all of the questions I got I, th- I think that's all of them. I hope I've covered them all and I hope I've answered them well and that they're useful for people. I love that. I'm going to do another Q&A at some point in the future, maybe in six months or something, give people some more time to ask some questions. But thank you for everybody that asked me a question. Again, as I said, I hope that's been useful and it's been a kind of slightly different episode, which I like. Uh, a bit of a variety in this episode, which is good. So I will be back in two weeks with a new episode. As I said, I'll leave all of the kind of recommendations, the links everything below so that you can check it all out please ask if you want any further uh, information come and follow me on instagram i talk a lot more on there i post a lot of helpful things on there as well you can contact me on there i'll be back in two weeks with another episode so i will speak to you then goodbye